AM1600KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk. Glad to be here with you for another exciting edition of Life Imagine with Dr. William Summers for a Saturday. I think this is the last one in March as we head on into the second quarter and springtime is upon us. And with that, of course, allergies. And we had a live show last week with Dr. Summers and we love getting our questions from all the wonderful people out there, wonderful listeners and the fans of Dr. Summers. As always, you can go and order Memory Vitalizer on Life Imagined uh, directly at memoryvitalizer.net. And uh, you can also order directly from him as well as I am joining Dr. Summers this morning remotely. And he is there live in the Kiva in studio. Dr. Summers, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Another Good beautiful day in New Mexico. Absolutely. Lots to get to here on this edition of your wonderful medical show, the only one of its kind uh, in the city and uh, really in the state. I've looked all around the rest of the state, and they're the only one that's offering up uh, some edgy medical advice, as always, Dr. Summers. You've been doing medicine for quite a while. You're my doctor, and you've become a lot of other people's doctors just by being listeners in the Kiva, ladies and gentlemen. People who have uh, been with us from the beginning have been getting lots of good medical help, and you get it free of charge through Dr. Summers' generous sponsorship uh, of this radio program. What's on, on tap today, Dr. Summers? Well, we're going to touch on uh, gyrate atrophy, uh, which is a rare genetic disorder, but worthy of discussion. And, of course, the COVID-19 update. A little bit of anatomy, cardiovascular, along with, uh, a, you know, some personal observations on Prozac. And uh, I wanted to go back and talk about mask madness, maybe some sinusitis if we can get to it, and a little discussion of metaragia, girls who have too heavy a periods and what one can do about it uh, with home medicine. And history you're not supposed to know, I wanted to expound on Willie Brown and the homeless here in Albuquerque. What's the connection? But, uh, Sounds we like good. Quotes and quips, right? Absolutely. We always like to start the show with some quotes and quips. I'm going to let Eric handle the rest of the duties of the show. He'll, of course, be talking about your wonderful product, which I take each and every day. You can pick it up at a number of different places. And that, of course, is Memory Vitalizer and Life Imagine. And you can order it directly. Best way to do so is become a subscriber every other month. Become that subscriber by dialing one 800 606 0192. That's 1 800 606 0192. Or go directly to the website memoryvitalizer.net. Kick it off with some quotes and quips, Dr. Summers. Absolutely. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot and whether pigs have wings. And as we notice, President Joe Bypass is in Poland this week. And I have some advice for the Poles. Never argue with an idiot. They will drag you down to their level and then beat you with experience. And as far as Joe goes, hey, uh, inflation is taxation without representation. 
And frankly, you just can't pass the buck on that one. Now, I like to quote Albert Einstein, who once noted that incompetence is the true crisis of America. Incompetence is the true crisis of America, from Albert Einstein. Now, remember that hundreds of wise men cannot make this world a heaven, but one idiot is enough to turn it into hell. And finally, this thought, man cannot live by incompetence alone. <laughs> so, in these troubled times, folks, remember, fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. Make the right decision. Now, the purpose of the show is to educate and empower you, my wonderful listeners, to have little hacks and things you can do to Stay healthy. Eric, let's chat about Memory Revitalizer. All right. We'll take this time to remind people where they can get Memory Revitalizer created by our own Dr. Summers. It's at the Sharon Care Pharmacy in Belen, Duran Central Pharmacy, Sam's Regent Pharmacy, Best Buy Pharmacy, Manal Pharmacy. It's at the Evergreen Herbal Market in Rio Rancho and Moses Country Store on 4th Street. You can also find it at the Village Apothecary in Cedar Crest, Care Drug in Aztec, New Mexico, Sierra Blanca Pharmacy in Ruidoso, and Fort Sumner. What was the name? Addison Drug. Is that correct, Doctor? Yeah, that's correct. All right. Good memory. All right. Yes. And I haven't even started mine yet. Wait till I get started on my memory <laughs> revitalizer. And you can also find it at memoryrevitalizer.net, lifelink.com. And you can always order direct at 1-800-606-0192. And how about your uh, neuroscience, Albuquerque Neuroscience? Yeah, I do a little side job over at Albuquerque Neuroscience. And I wanted to uh, mention we have two drug development uh, projects we're working on that I think will turn out to be beneficial for mild cognitive impairment or possibly early Alzheimer's. So folks, if you're having some poor memory for over six months and you have a loved one or a caregiver who would like to help science and help participate, give a call to Albuquerque Neuroscience at 505-848-3773. They're located just behind the Women's Hospital here in Albuquerque. And those studies uh, go on for really about 18 months, and there are several visits to their facilities uh, at 100, uh, 101 Hospital Loop. But anyway, I said we were going to talk about a rare genetic disorder All right. that uh, is called gyrate atrophy. And I have some thoughts about it I wanted to share with you, the listener, it only occurs about one case in every 50,000 people, which means that there are about 10 of these folks running around in Albuquerque. And what it is, is it's a degeneration of the retina, the back of the eye, due to a defect in an enzyme called OAT, ornithine aminotransferase. Now, ornithine aminotransferase is an enzyme that takes the amino acid arginine, which then is converted to ornithine, 
and through the ornithine aminotransferase becomes proline. Okay, and this particular enzyme is dependent upon vitamin B6. And the approach to trying to treat it, if you don't treat it, what happens is you lose your peripheral vision, finally your central vision, and you become blind. And so the trick is to stop uh, the ingestion of arginine. And arginine, of course, is pretty broad in our diet. You find it in nuts, seeds like pumpkin seeds. It's even in Popeye's spinach, but it's in beans and just about any kind of meat that would include turkey, chicken, pork, beef, also shellfish, lobsters, and mollusks that would be uh, oysters, and many saltwater fish. Now, freshwater fish don't have much arginine, so I suppose one could uh, get your meat product by carefully eating uh, you know, fresh fish, trout, and the like. But I had a couple other thoughts looking at the uh, metabolism. And the first thing is, if you took higher doses of vitamin B6, it would, uh, shall we say, stimulate the ornithine aminotransferase to do its job better and create proline from the ornithine. But the second thing that one could do is increase the amount of L-lysine. Now, a lot of folks take the amino acid L-lysine. You even find it at local chain drugstores, and it's used to sort of prevent outbreaks of herpes. But one of the things it does physiologically is suppress arginine and sort of dispatch arginine from the body. So I think that if a person had this rare genetic disorder of gyrate atrophy and they wanted to hang on to their vision a bit longer, they could increase their vitamin B6. They could also, uh, you know, take L-lysine and then they could avoid uh, meat, nuts, and seeds. And I hope that that helps those, uh, you know, 10 people in our population that might be uh, getting this message. Anyway, uh, Eric, shall we move on to the COVID-19 update? Always so much to talk about here. Yeah, uh, first would be an article that I mentioned about a week ago or so from The Blaze by Daniel Horowitz, who uh, noted that the FDA and the U.S. Customs are busy confiscating inbound shipments of ivermectin, uh, the uh, antibiotic doxycycline, and even zinc from India. They confiscate those. And on the other hand, they seem to be letting your fentanyl, which is an illegal drug, uh, come through internet orders. Uh, and it's just one more uh, suggestion, and maybe your government uh, doesn't want you to be alive. Well, here's another one which we uh, touched on on the show, but I want to put the spotlight on it again. And that is uh, there was a court case uh, in Virginia under U.S. District Judge Mark T. Pittman. And it was Pfizer and the FDA versus uh, some folks 
who were trying to find out what are the real side effects of the COVID-19 vaccines. And the FDA and Pfizer's attorney said, hey, judge, we got to keep this information under wraps for 75 years because it might harm the public. And the judge said, I don't buy it. Release the information. That order came in January. Late February on a, uh, shall we say, an undistinguished Tuesday, the Food and Drug Administration dumped 55,000 pages of side effects uh, onto the public. And uh, those have not been fully analyzed in even this period of time, but we do know that over 150,000 severe adverse reactions from the COVID shot occurred in only the first three months of use. Well, what is a severe adverse reaction to a Pfizer vaccine? Well, acute kidney injury, uh, anti-sperm antibodies. Uh, apparently, this uh, vaccine can cause male sterility. Brainstem embolism. Now, here's a good one. Cardiac arrest. We call that dead. Cardiogenic shock. Deep venous thrombosis. Epileptic psychosis. In other words, you suddenly go crazy. Your herpes uh, that you've had gets reactivated, means also you get rounds of shingles. Your liver can be injured. If you're pregnant, your baby could be, uh, a, you know, spontaneously aborted or die of a low uh, birth weight. You could develop temporal lobe epilepsy. You could develop diabetes. Uh, you can even get thrombosis in your, in your uh, fetus, in your baby. And all told, there are 1,246 different adverse medical conditions that were caused by these vaccines in only the first three months of use. I wonder how long it's going to take for us to get the full story. And here's another little flash from current issues in molecular biology. And some Swedish scientists are following the mRNA that's part of the uh, COVID vaccines. And they found that the human liver will take the mRNA and turn it into DNA so that you are now manufacturing a viral spike protein. You become this, a different form of infection so that, folks, you might want to think twice before you hang out with vaccinated people. Oof. Uh, and here's another thing that uh, is a little rant from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Martin who states that you cannot have a vaccine that doesn't claim to either impart immunity or block transmission of a virus. You simply don't call that a vaccine. And he points out that the Moderna and the Pfizer, quote, vaccines are misrepresenting their experimental gene therapies as bona fide vaccines, and that this has legal ramifications 
and that the deception cannot really be protected from legal consequences. Uh, He says that uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines qualify as illegally deceptive practices, making medical claims without clinical trial proof of either immunity or transmission blocking from the alleged vaccines. And And this Dr. Martin says that violates Federal Code U.S. 15, Section 41. And he says that the injections are not vaccines. They don't prevent infection. They do not render you immune. And they do not prevent transmission of COVID-19. Instead, they alter your genetic coding. And there should be legal consequences. So in my office, we don't recommend the use of COVID-19 vaccines. Well, let's do a plug for Revitalizer. Okay. All right, doctor. Take it away, Eric. (laughs) All right. I'm going to remind you where you can get your memory revitalizer and life imagined. It's at the Sharon Care Pharmacy in Belen, Durant Central Pharmacy, Sam's Regent Pharmacy, Best Buy Pharmacy, the Manal Pharmacy, and the Evergreen Herbal Market in Rio Rancho. Also at Moses Country Store on 4th Street, the Village Apothecary in Cedar Crest, Air Drug in Aztec, New Mexico, and Sierra Blanca Pharmacy in Ruidoso. Also at Addison Drug in Fort Sumner. You can also find it at memoryrevitalizer.net and lifelink.com. Order direct at 1-800-606-0192. And it's about time for our uh, COVID-19 update. Do we still have COVID-19 running around out there, Doctor? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it on the COVID-19 for this week. But uh, let's move forward and talk about uh, a little bit of human anatomy and give a hat tip to uh, to God for creating the human heart. Now, the human heart is a grapefruit-sized organ. It's in the left center chest behind the sternum weighs a little less than a pound, and it has four simple chambers, two atria, which is Latin for an antechamber or vestibule, and it has two ventricle chambers. And in total, this grapefruit-sized organ is two pumps. There's a right side that pulls blood from the brain, abdomen, and extremities, and then pushes this deoxygenated blood into the lung to become oxygenated. Then the second pump is on the left side of the heart, and that pulls blood out of the lung and pushes it into the rest of the body to oxygenate everything from your brain to your toes. Now, if you take a red blood cell at the aortic valve, which is leaving the left ventricle of the heart, It makes a journey throughout the body and back to the heart in 50 seconds. Now, the heart beats a little more than once a second. And so this hypothetical red blood cell will make 100,000 trips around the body per day. Rather astonishing number. And if you take the average lifetime of a human 
That red blood cell, were it to last a lifetime, would make 3.5 billion trips throughout your circulation. But every hour, your heart pumps about 70 gallons of blood. That's an astonishing number. If you put it into gallons per day, it's about 1,700 gallons per day, which translates to about as much gasoline as your automobile drinks in a full year is the amount of blood that your heart pumps in a single day. Amazing. Over a lifetime, the amount of work that this, this pump, this heart does, would be enough work to lift a single ton 150 miles into the air off of the planet. Those are shocking numbers. Now, as that hypothetical red blood cell leaves the aortic valve, 20% of it goes to the brain, takes the lion's share. Another 20% of cardiac output goes to the kidney. Why? Because you have to take the garbage out. You have to filter out the uh, toxins in the blood and put it in the urine and get it out of the body. Strangely, only 5% of circulation goes into the coronary arteries to uh, give oxygenation to your heart. And 55% of cardiac output is spread from your toes to your fingers to your earlobes. Now, there's a thing we call blood pressure. And the blood pressure reflects the cardiac systole. Systole is when the heart contracts, squeezes. That's the high number of the blood pressure. The low number of the blood pressure is called diastole, and that's when your heart relaxes and refills. Okay, so the arterial resting system pressure is the same as diastole pressure. Now, the difference between systole, the upper number, and diastole, the lower number, is called pulse pressure. And this is the amount of pressure that moves blood forward through your arteries into the arterioles, through the capillaries, and some secondary pressure in the veins to bring the blood back to the heart for recirculation. Now, the discovery that hypertension or high blood pressure is not a good thing, I'll credit that one to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, Mr. Roosevelt's blood pressure shortly before his famous stroke was 300 over 190. At the time, the flax, that is the people such as Jin Saki, tried to rep uh, you know, represent this as a vigorous blood pressure. Actually, it was a pathological blood pressure. And President Roosevelt had a stroke, and subsequently died. And because of that, uh, American medicine began to get pretty serious about blood pressure. And they finally started studying it scientifically and discovered that normal blood pressure should be less than 140 millimeters of mercury on the systolic side. And on the lower number, the diastolic side, less than 90 millimeters of mercury. And those are the targets that we've used to control blood pressure now for 
most of my career, which is a couple of decades or several decades. But uh, surprisingly, not too long ago, the American Heart Association came out on the balcony and announced a new normal, quote unquote. And that is to be less than 130 millimeters of mercury systolically and less than 80 millimeters of mercury diastolic. And in a twinkle of an eye, 31 million Americans now suddenly needed to buy expensive pharmaceutical drugs based on no data that I've been able to find. That's rather impressive stuff. So apparently uh, where most of my colleagues are trying to get their patients is under 130 and under 80. Um, in general, though, since Franklin Roosevelt, the focus on heart disease has paid off. In 1950, we had 600,000 uh, uh, deaths, uh, excuse me, 600 deaths per um, 100,000 due to heart disease. That's 600 dead people per 100,000 due to heart disease. Now, today, that's down to about 160 deaths per 100,000. That's a 72% drop in deaths due to stroke and heart attack because we're much more uh, tuned in to controlling blood pressure. Now, one of the uh, downstream problems from untreated high blood pressure is heart attack called myocardial infarction. And what that is is a sudden loss of circulation, of oxygen going to a part of the heart. And that can lead to cardiac arrest, which is the heart just totally stopping. And uh, for that, uh, we have developed CPR, which is, if you get the folks in time, pretty effective. But it's interesting that the heart attack is in 50% of cases, unsuspected, people consider themselves fit and healthy and they get the surprise of their life when they suddenly have a heart attack. Now, guys, you're a little bit different than the girls. Women have a different pattern with their heart attacks. Frequently, women will have abdominal pain with nausea which is misdiagnosed as a GI problem rather than a cardiac problem. And this is why women in their mid-50s are twice as likely to die as a man from the same type of heart attack. So, girls, if you suddenly have the onset of abdominal pain with nausea, pay attention. If there's a little tingling up there in the left shoulder, that's referred pain. And you might want to head for the heart hospital instead of the urgent care and complain that you had a GI flu. Be aware of the fact that women uh, are misdiagnosed as a GI problem instead of a heart problem. Now, in general, twice as many women die from heart attacks today than die of breast cancer. And, of course, our great fear for women is indeed breast cancer. But on with cardiology, there's been tremendous changes in heart technology, and I thought I'd review those a little bit today. Oh, please do. 
1929, a gentleman by the name of Werner Fossermann, a nice German, uh, figured out how to put a catheter into his uh, artery and back it right up into his heart. He was wandering around the hospital there. He ran over to the Department of Radiology and took a picture. And behold, he was the first person to do a cardiac catheterization. He published this earth-shattering discovery in a minor journal, and this was 1929. Now, it turns out that he was a devoted Nazi, so people didn't pay too much attention to it. But that was the onset of cardiac catheterization as early as 1929. Now, by 1953, a gentleman at the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. John Gibbon, developed the first heart-lung machine, which allowed us to begin to do open-heart surgery. But this uh, heart-lung machine was pretty crude in the beginning. It was perfected at the University of Minnesota by Walton Lillehei. And uh, so the whole world of cardiac surgery began to change. The next big invention took place in 1958. Uh, in Stockholm, Sweden, and I've got to say this with the right accent, a gentleman by the name of Rune Elvist, Rune Elvist, an ex-singing from the Karolinski Institute, were fiddling around in their kitchen table and they came up with the first cardiac pacemaker. That was in 1958. It was about the size of a pack of cigarettes. And he had some battery problems, but they put it into the first Swedish patient by the name of Arne Larsen. I hope I got that accent right. A 43-year-old. And boy, did it work. Arne Larsen did not die until he was age 86. In other words, he got 43 years out of that pacemaker. But it wasn't the original pacemaker they kept improving the pacemaker, and when Arne Larsen died at age 86, he was on his 26th pacemaker. Now, as I said, the original pacemaker was the size of a cigarette pack and pretty cumbersome. Today's pacemaker is about the size of a U.S. quarter, and the battery in there lasts about 10 years. You can actually get them to where... If you have a cardiac arrest, it will deliver a shock and start you going again. And then following this invention came the coronary artery bypass. And that began in 1967 at the Cleveland Clinic when Dr. Rene Flavavorio took a vein out of the leg of a patient and replaced the coronary artery. That was then followed by a well publicized uh, miracle, uh, Dr. Christian Barnard of Cape Town, Africa in 1967, put a whole new heart in Louis Warshansky, who only lived 18 days. And on autopsy, what they found was that uh, Mr. Warshansky's transplanted heart was being rejected. So they had to do something to downmodulate the immune system and a pharmaceutical company, Sandoz, sent out people all over the world looking for 
a magical substance and they cultured everything and they finally found a uh, fungus that created a substance called cyclosporin. In the 1980s, cyclosporin began to be used for transplants and in heart, uh, it took uh, survival from total heart transplants up to 80% survival. Same is true for kidney transplants. And today, in 2022, we expect somewhere between five and 6,000 total heart replacements globally. Now, still today, one in three Americans die from heart disease. That is more than cancer, influenza, COVID-19, pneumonia, and accidents combined. So... We've got to uh, pay attention to heart disease, and we certainly pay attention to my little clinic to it. But one of the things where I wanted to give a word of caution is this miracle called angioplasties. Angioplasties is where you uh, catheterize the heart and you put a uh, balloon catheter into a coronary artery and you inflate the balloon. It widens the coronary artery and uh, bring circulation back, and then you leave behind a little stent, which is tubular scaffolding. You insert those, and at the present time, there are over two to three million of these stents placed in patients' coronary arteries uh, per year. And uh, intuitively, that just sounds like a really good thing, doesn't it? You know, you open up that coronary artery and you leave behind a little a little uh, piece of plumbing that keeps uh, that artery open. Yeah, on the surface, that seems And someone right. finally said, hey, we don't have any numbers. We just intuitively think this is helping. And when they finally did do a clinical trial, they found if you did a 1,000 of those, only about 14% of people actually benefit. 14 out of a thousand. It doesn't seem. Well, like what about the others? Two of them die from the procedure. 28 of them have a heart attack as a result of the procedure. 60 of the thousand will get better for a little bit and then go back to the angina or whatever was going on before. And 800 out of the thousand will have no particular benefit and no particular harm. So only 14% of people can be documented as improving from angioplasty. How expensive are angioplasties? I looked it up. Every one of those procedures, the charge is between 25000 and 125000 per Spent? balloon angioplasty. Wow. Oh my interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. You always got to... Get the data. It would appear that most angioplasties are a waste of money and more research needs to be done on who actually is most likely to benefit from it. Yeah, I think I'll take the coronary bypass. Seems, yeah. Seems, uh, <laughs> my dad had a quadruple bypass at least 15 plus years ago, and he would have been gone by now, I'm sure, if it, if it hadn't been for that. Yeah, the data on bypasses is actually pretty good. I like the data from the British. The British have such delay in their coronary artery bypasses. Uh, in America, if you need a bypass, it's done the day you have that heart attack. 
In Britain, they put you on a list, and uh, six or eight months later, if you're still alive, you get the bypass. Oh, that's and the medicine, thing. Right? The study of that data shows you either do the bypass immediately, and doing the bypass eight months later is a waste of time. That's uh, the, the people who don't show up for the bypass surgery eight months later, they're already in the grave. That's the fruits of socialized <laughs> so, medicine, right? Doctor? Yeah, you got to study the real data. Well, I wanted to give a word about Prozac, the wonder drug. All right, let's go there. Yeah, Prozac is an antidepressant. It was the first in a whole class of antidepressants called SSRI, or Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. And it was approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration in 1987. I was practicing medicine in California that year. And a friend of mine did most of the work that uh, led to the approval of Prozac. And so I was proud to just put everybody on it. What I didn't know was that the German equivalent of the FDA had rejected Prozac because they had noticed a very high number of suicides in people who were treated with Prozac. Well, within the first three to four months of my using Prozac, I had two suicides. My patients don't commit suicide. We have a better relationship than that. And the two suicides were kind of peculiar. One gentleman barricaded himself and uh, dared the police to extract him. He basically died of death by cop. The other gentleman was cleaning out a garage and came across an old war prize of a German Luger, put a bullet in it, and left the planet. And both of those disturbed me so much, I wrote the company that made Prozac and said, I think we got a problem here. About a month later, two uh, suits showed up in my office, and uh, one of them definitely was an attorney. The other one, I think, was a businessman, and they sat down and explained to me how I didn't know what I was looking at. And they implied that if I kept uh, spouting off about the suicidal nature of Prozac, that I would be looking at their legal team. So I stopped uh, prescribing Prozac for many, many years until I thought it through. Uh Now, if I received a patient and someone else had put them on Prozac and they were doing well, I left them on it. But I started thinking a little bit about it. And I finally decided what happens with Prozac is it disinhibits people, kind of like alcohol. You know, someone goes to their Christmas party, has a few drinks, and says or does something silly. Well, Prozac, that's what's going on. And so when I prescribe it these days, I caution my patients, this drug can disinhibit you and have you do something you wouldn't ordinarily do. Like you're driving to work in downtown Albuquerque and you suddenly think that you'll just drive on out to the casino and put your life savings on Red 23. (laughs) And if that happens, don't do it. It sounds... and. Just say to yourself, that's Prozac talking. Yeah, it seems like a, <laughs> there's a. But other than that, and the other thing is, I, in my hands, it turned out that Prozac was a sexist drug. Seems to work on the ladies much better than it does on the guys. And I did a little bit of research on that, and it turns out that 
one of the uh, later indications for Prozac was for hot flashes. Well, how would that work? Well, it turns out that it increases the concentration of a substance called allopregnenolone, which is like progesterone, in the brain. And uh, so by increasing progesterone in the brain, it suppresses hot flashes. So therefore, it has effects on women's hormones and may explain why, in my hands, Prozac is a better drug for women than for men. Anyway, I just thought I'd uh, share some, uh, you know, reflections from the old doc here. Pretty interesting, doctor. I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are scratching their chins right now. Sounds, sounds like a lot of people in our government are uh, doing the, the Christmas party thing. Like you said, they're, they're, uh, it's, I think that they might be on Prozac or some other similar substance because they have, they just don't care what they're doing. They, they're putting a bullet. They're getting a little too impulsive. Exactly. Exactly. I wanted to go back, Eric, and uh, visit the whole idea of connecting Willie Brown, a uh, legislator of uh, great note in uh, California. Uh, to our homeless circumstance here in Albuquerque. Now, Willie Brown, of course, is famous because of, I'm going I'm to try pronouncing this, Camilla or, well, Camilla Harris. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Apparently, she got her start at the knees of uh, Willie Brown, or there were some knees involved somewhere there. Uh, but uh, there was a rather open affair between... Uh, Miss Harris and uh, Mr. Brown. And uh, he was uh, a famous legislator in California, elected to uh, California legislature in 1965. Well, now, how does that relate to homeless folks? Well, in 1968, I uh, ended up working for the University of Southern California my job was to uh, run a ward of uh, 24 acutely ill psychiatric folks uh, for the County of Los Angeles and the University of Southern California. And I would get schizophrenics in off the streets and I would start to treat them and uh, they had an involuntary commitment uh, procedure. Next thing I knew, I was asked to go over to the courtroom to testify as to why they needed to stay in hospital against their will. And uh, to get over to the courthouse, I had to drive through a railroad yard because they put the courthouse in a railroad yard out of sight, out of mind. And on the way there, I would see people, uh, the way you would uh, figure out who was a schizophrenic in 68 was it'd be a person with a boombox stuck in their ear to drown out the voices. And you would see these people scattered in front of the courthouse with their boomboxes in their ear, drowning out the auditory hallucinations. And when I arrived in the courtroom to testify to the judge, I expected it to be the way it was when I was in Pennsylvania where I would explain my diagnosis for the patient and what I could do to help them. And what happened shocked the heck out of me. The patient would stand up and the judge would say, 
you have any money? And he'd pull a magical dollar bill out of his pocket. And the judge would say, do, do you know what to do with the money? And the uh, schizophrenic would say, yes, sir. And he'd say, well, do you have a place to say? And the schizophrenic would say, yes. And the judge said, okay, you can go. My testimony as to what the person's problem was and if I could help him, that didn't matter. The only thing that mattered. And then I found out that each one of these schizophrenics got their very own attorney who handed them a dollar bill and told them what to say to the judge. And that explained this parade of schizophrenics in front of the courthouse with their boom boxes stuck in their ear, treating their schizophrenia by drowning out the voices. I was offended. It turned out it was the Landerman Petrus Short Act. And the Landerman Petrus Short Act was uh, the law of the land. And uh, what it was, was it goes back to a book written in 1962 called uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, in the movie, uh, they explained that a uh, rather clever criminal, instead of, uh, you know, uh, being uh, sent to jail for his uh, crimes, pleaded insanity. And so the judge sent him to a mental institute. And in the mental institute, he found peculiar people, but they were all normal folk. And then what he did was he uh, let an escape from the mental institute and took him to a ball game because they were all normal but somewhat unusual folk. And this was the 60s, right? And Jack Nicholson, I think he got an Academy Award for that. I think he did. You know, an Oscar, something like that. But at any rate, certainly Nurse Ratchet got a, an Oscar for her performance. And the whole hypothesis was, was normal citizens were being held against their will on bogus charges that they had a mental problem. And the same gentleman, Willie Brown, made an observation that the state of California was spending huge amounts of money on warehousing mentally ill folks. And if they simply re-diverted those funds to welfare funds in Oakland, California, for example, he would be sending money to good Democrat voters instead of mentally ill people who didn't vote. Very clever on his part. Unfortunately, it led to a rash of such laws as the Landerman Petrus Short Act throughout all 50 of the states and a wholesale uh, discharge of people from mental hospitals. And where did they go? They went to the streets. And let me give another thing. When I first started practicing psychiatry, the average schizophrenic lived to 72. True, he was instituted, but he had three meals a day, he had a roof over his head, he had general medical care, and he died around age 72. Today, the average schizophrenic lives into his late 40s, a loss of almost 30 years in lifespan. And all too frequently, they die dumpster diving in the snow behind McDonald's trying to get food. I do not think we have served the mentally ill well with the wholesale closing of mental hospitals.
The other thing was I actually went to see the cuckoo's nest and I started looking for these normal folk who were accidentally caught up into the mental health system and uh, hospitalized for years at a time. I didn't find them. They just weren't there. I think I found one in 20 or 30 years of looking for these elusive cases that were described in the cuckoo's nest. Eric, I just thought I'd toss that out there as history folks just don't know of, but that I've lived it. Appreciate it. And I think we're doing our mentally ill a disservice when their mental health uh, worker is actually a police officer and they spend their time in jail. Around 25 to 30% of the folks on the streets, they don't have boom boxes anymore. They have, uh, you know, what are they, uh, Bluetooth and earpieces yeah, and right. stuff like that. That's right, yeah. But a good percentage of the folks on the streets are there with their schizophrenia, tormented by the voices 24-7. Yeah. I anyway, agree. just that's my thought. Well, I live and work downtown, and I see, I see those effects, and I see those people every day, pretty much. There are better ways to care for these folks. For sure. Anyway, I, I think that uh, we, you know, a little bit of uh, for legislators listening, I think that there are better solutions for these folks. Agreed. And tiny houses is not the answer. Agreed. In my opinion. All right. Anyway, just saying. All right. Well, let's get to another uh, memory revitalizer plug. You will be able yes, to. Yes, let's do it. All right. You'll be able to find it at Sharing Care Pharmacy in Berlin. Duran Central Pharmacy in Old Town, Albuquerque, Sam's Regent Pharmacy, Island Pharmacy, Best Buy Pharmacy, Manal Pharmacy. It's at the Evergreen Herbal Market in Rio Rancho and at Moses Country Store on 4th Street. It's also at the Village Apothecary in Cedar Crest, Care Drug in Aztec, the Sierra Blanca Pharmacy, Rio Doso, Addison Drug in Fort Sumner, and you will find it at memoryrevitalizer.net and lifelink.com. Order direct over the phone at 1-800-606-0192. Okie dokie. All right. So where should we go next? Should we go on to health hacks or do Definitely. another plug for Albuquerque Neuroscience? Well, yeah. Go ahead and plug the Albuquerque Neuroscience, doctor. Albuquerque Neuroscience, 848 3773 that's 505-848-3773, a independent uh, research uh, group uh, in drug development world. Uh, they're behind Women's uh, Hospital uh, over on Montgomery, and they're doing two studies for people with some memory issues, possibly Alzheimer's, very extensive workup in both of those studies. One are looking for people with very early Alzheimer's with uh, CRS, can't remember stuff, uh, <laughs> or a mild cognitive impairment. The other is for folks that are a little further along, but you need to have poor memory for a little more than six months and a caregiver or loved one willing to bring you to their offices to participate in the study and what you get is an excellent workup to see uh, is it really Alzheimer's, the state of the art. But let's uh, talk about uh, 
a sinus hack here. Sinusitis, I find, is very common here in the desert. Uh, and I thought I would mention that uh, there is a natural uh, sugar that can help you with sinusitis. It's called xylitol. And it actually tastes very similar to table sugar. In fact, you can buy it in the grocery store. It's actually classified as a polyalcohol or a sugar alcohol. And um, you can, it, you know, is derived actually from raw biomass, such as uh, places that process uh, wood. You can take uh, the agricultural waste, uh, or the waste from softwood production. And in there, you can uh, find xylan, which you hydrolyze to xylose. Uh, and that is this sugar that is sold in the grocery store. If you make a 5% solution of this, and if you spray it in your nose, 93% of the time, it reduces both ear and sinus infections. And you can actually buy it online at Amazon. Uh, and uh, what it really does is the sugar is slippery. And it creates sort of a slip and slide phenomenon in your sinuses to where the uh, bugs, the bacteria, can't hang on to the lining in the nose or in the uh, sinuses. And they just literally slide out when you blow your nose. And it uh, makes it, it's another way to treat sinusitis. So I thought I'd toss that out there as a health hack. And another quick health hack uh, is women who have heavy menstrual bleeding. You know, a lot of times docs will offer to do a surgical procedure called a DNC or debilitation and curatage. Uh, but, uh, Frankly, you can take a hefty dose of vitamin A, 50,000 units, every day for about a month, and that will suppress heavy menstrual bleeding in a lot of women and reset the clock, and certainly is better than a surgical intervention. But uh, should we spend some time on mask madness? Definitely. Oh, I think we and need that for sure. There's still some counties that have mask rules. I don't in the state. I, of I would assume yes, but I still see people masking every day in Bernalillo County. Yeah, people forget that the purpose of the mask was to pre prevent contamination from bacterial infection in a surgical setting. Bacterial, and, not, and not viral. A viral, right? <clears throat> and remember that a bacteria is a single-celled organism. Whereas a, and a virus is, frankly, a particle of RNA or DNA that is subcellular, incredibly smaller than a bacteria. Almost like nanotechnology. Exactly. In fact, when you start talking nano, you can see a bacteria under a light microscope, but you can't see a virus until you use an electron microscope. Why? Because a bacteria is 200,000 to 7.5 million nanometers. A virus, on the other hand, is 20 to 750 nanometers. That's several orders smaller. 
Okay. Now, the famous N95 mask, the best you get, if you have it properly sealed, can keep out particles at around 200 nanometers. 200 nanometers. Which means that it can just barely keep out smoke from a fire in a fireplace. <clears throat> and it has to be properly fitted. I'll be quite honest, an N95 mask out in the community, I haven't seen one that's properly on a person's face. Right. And most of these people with the cloth mask, those pores are thousands of nanometers, and they don't keep out even bacteria, much less viruses. They're of little uh, potential good. On the other hand, you're rebreathing your carbon dioxide. You're rebreathing the hundreds of different bacteria that are composition of the human mouth. And uh, it's really adverse to your health to be wearing masks. But but there yeah, is a price. Yeah, and they want us they want us to worry about carbon dioxide in the environment. But they're yes. trying to keep us. And then they create that environment in front of your nose. Right in front of your face. I was, <laughs> I was at work with a guy yesterday, and he was, he, had, uh, he was pulling off his mask to take a drink of water, and his, his nose was dripping with mucus and snot, and he was about to put the mask on. And I said, you're not really going to put that back on, are you? But <laughs> it looked like he was mad at about me. About to put the contaminated mask on to make things worse. Yeah, he was mad at me for trying to help him out and not breathe back his mucus and CO2 all day. But you know, we're trying we, to do the gentleman a favor. Yeah, we got to get we got to get to people somehow. I mean, even if it makes them mad. It's like security blankets and it's almost like a uh, signal of uh, virtue signaling that you're a loyal member of the government. That's right. If you will, Heil Hitler. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, just saying. Well, we've got a final uh, hack here. All right. And that is aging spots, liver spots. They usually occur in places that the sun hits, like the back of the hand. And they're caused by sun ultraviolet light speeding up the production of melon in little areas that give the skin its color. And after years of sun exposure, the age spots appear and become sort of clumped. And the best prevention is stay out of the sun or put on work gloves or don't work between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. when the sun's rays are most intense. You could use sunscreen uh, or you could uh, try covering up with uh, like I say, a broad-brimmed hat or uh, different types of gloves. But treatments, once the uh, brown spots or the liver spots occur, include some medications that are really bleaching creams, like hydroquinone or trintoin, which is a retinol, a vitamin E derivative. You can also use laser to uh, sort of... Uh, fade them out, or you can freeze them off with cryotherapy. You can use dermabrasion or microabrasion or chemical peels. But in terms of home remedies, simple apple cider vinegar 
applied with a Q-tip onto the brown spots, or even hydrogen peroxide put on for a few minutes, helps, or lemon juice. Or you could do a combination of a bit of yogurt with some oatmeal and fresh lemon juice and put that on areas where the brown spots are. That's said to be effective. Other things that work or said to work is take a raw onion and uh, it has sulfur compounds and sort of rub that across the skin where the liver spots are and that supposedly will bleach them out. There are other things like aloe vera or papaya or red currants that are said to be beneficial and there are various uh, formulas and uh, things you can find on the internet. But uh, that's my take on it, folks. Excellent. Best thing to do is put on a set of gloves and uh, try to work not in the heat of the day. All right. So I think that's kind of what I got for this. Excellent. Week. Covered a lot of ground there, doctor. Anything you need to add? Okay. Eddie? Well, next week is a live show, I think. It's right? a live calling show next week, first week in April. Absolutely, and after that, we'll do the uh, our famous Easter show. I think this year, because we may do the Easter show for uh, both Palm Sunday and for Easter. All right. All right. Okie All right. Eric, thank you. thank you so much. You're welcome, Dr. And I want to thank our audience for listening today. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. We are here at 1600 AM. We are on abq.fm and also rockoftalk.chat. Like Dr. Summer said, join us again next Saturday for a live call-in show. And Alrighty then. Keep listening till then. Up next is Jeffrey Candelaria with Straight Talk. Riding for your horses and never